Oh, let's go back, Robert. Nothing. Okay. Can I get a, a volunteer to pray for uh, Judson? Turn to Philippians chapter number two. And we are going to <clears throat> start a series this morning called Taming the Tongue. This is going to be a four-week series. <clears throat> and the reason we want to uh, do this series is, boy, I, when I start thinking about things that really all of us can use help with, I think all of us would agree that when it comes down to, to sin, the, the area that all of us, no matter what demographic you're in, young or old, that we struggle with is sins of the tongue, right? The Bible says that when we sin with our tongue, it's actually revealing a bigger problem, right? Because the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when our tongue is showing sins that are outward, boy, we've got to address that because that's revealing some things that are in our hearts that we need to address spiritually. And these are the sins that when we think about things that are, you know, in our lives that we need to address, boy, you know, we could probably self-identify anger. We got to fix that. Or lust, we've got to fix that. Or greed, that's, that's an issue there. But when it comes to these sins, they're often the ones I think that we ignore. They're the ones that we excuse. They're the ones that um, maybe we don't even hold each other accountable as church family well enough in these areas, just simply because, frankly, it can be overwhelming because when we start addressing some of these areas, especially the one today, boy, we might be guilty more than we think. And so today, I want us to start off by talking about the sin of complaining. Now, I want you all to participate with me, and uh, the slower you are to participate, the longer this will drag out, okay? But I want to I encourage you, okay, I want us to think, what are some things in our lives that we are prone to complain about, big or small? What are some things in our lives that we are prone to complain about, big or small? Faith, why don't you start us off? I'm sorry? Money. Money, money. All right, what else? Joy? Kids? Traffic? What city do you live in, bro? <laughs> Traffic. Oh, Hulk. I know, and he lives in Holcomb. I know. Fair enough, fair enough. When you go on vacation, right? Out of work. Yeah. None of us are guilty of that. What else? Oh, brother. We, we got to get rolling a little heavier. There's more, there's more, there's more. Big and small. This doesn't have to be an admission of guilt, but, you know, the spirit knows, right? What are some of the things we complain about? Boys. Someone help me. Girls, thank you. All right. Sheesh. <laughs> you got to be able to take it if you're going to give it. What else? What are some other things we complain about, right? Yep, things are not going right. Plus circumstances, that covers a lot, but we're going to be specific too. What are some other things? Family, weather, pray. yeah. I was going to say praise God. I can't praise God for that. Amen. That's what I say, Ruth. Weather. What else? <laughs> Amen to that. You know, this year I've watched more football than ever, which is not a lot, maybe three, four games. It's like, why is this the year that they aren't doing? All right, anyway, Chiefs, you yeah, know, sports. What else? <laughs> Parents, yeah. 
inside joke. All right, what else? School. Yeah, good. Schools. Mark, are you raising your hand or playing with your hands? Too bad. You're getting called on. Oh, somebody say amen to that. Grocery store. Peace. Wow. Taxes and what? Or like our body weight? Yeah. Amen. What else? Car. Good one. Car. Health, I think, goes with yours, peace. What else? Let's take three more. Three more. Excuse me? Preaching? How about listening? Hey, if you, if you got to give it, you got to take it, right? Applying. applying. Listening and living. All right, one more, one more. Since we, let's get off the preacher. Everyone. What else? One more. Someone bring us to the finish line. Stress, all right. Good problem. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, on your paper, if you have a paper, hopefully you took a paper, you're not too cool for school here. Write down, maybe it's not on here, the, the complaint that you're most guilty of. The thing you complain about the most. It may not be on the, on the screen, but the thing you complain about the most. And what I want you to do is as we go through the lesson today, I want you to filter the lesson through that complaint. You need this. I need this. Write down your complaint. What do you complain about? If you don't know, ask your spouse. Ask your fellow church members. I think some of you know. But write down the complaint because what we need to do is we need to recognize that this sin of complaining is a sin. And, and I want to show you this morning the problem with our complaints. Let's see why this is an issue because this is a sin we excuse. This is a sin that we all, we all group sin. We stand in a circle and we just complain and complain and complain and complain. And, and what's amazing to me as I study this is the spirit has been so quenched in this area. None of us are bothered by that. And so I want to also give you filters for your complaints because there is a place in our life for a sort of complaining. And we'll talk about that. When is it appropriate to talk negatively about certain things? And then number three um, I can't remember what my main outline is, but it's something, all right? So I want us to jump in this morning and talk about the problem with our complaining. Oh yeah, the solution to your complaining. Go, go figure, all right? So let's talk about the problem of our complaining. Here, first thing, this is not on your handout. All of us, the problem is, is that we don't recognize the sin when it happens. How many of you have a friend that has a rain cloud over their head nearly every day? You know someone, raise your hand. How many of you are that friend? Okay, I'm just kidding, right? We all know somebody who complains and yet we think it's not a big deal. And what I wanna show you is the Bible actually talks about this a lot, okay? Here's the first problem with our complaints. This is all from scripture. Complaining extinguishes our light. It extinguishes our light. It extinguishes our light. When you and I think about sins that ruin our testimony, is there a problem? Politics. Oh, yeah. All right. Now you're covering all of us, right? So here's the thing. When you think about sins that affect our testimony, normally complaining's not on that list, is it? Normally, what are the sins that we think are going to ruin someone's testimony? Fornication or adultery? 
big anger blowouts, right? Stealing, cheating, theft, but complaining. Listen to Philippians. Paul says this, and I want you to turn to Philippians 2, because we'll see this, we'll look at Philippians 2 a little bit more in detail later. But Paul says, do, what are the next two words? All things without murmurings and disputings. The word murmuring uh, is a word for complaining. Disputings, it could be kind of interpreted two different ways. It could be arguments, or it could be talking about rationalization of our complaints. Nonetheless, what is striking about Paul's words is that he says this, don't complain that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's what he's saying. Don't complain so you could better shine your light. Now, that's sobering. When we think about it, that some of us, you know, it's like that old kid song, hide in under a bushel. But for some of us, here's what we do. Hide our light under complaints. Yeah. We're, we're extinguishing our light. We're hiding our light because we're known to be complaining. Think about this. I want you to ask yourself, how much of your social media posting is subtly complaining? How many of your conversations include a complaint? And then ask yourself, does that attract people to Jesus? Is, a, is the good news of Jesus synonymous with a person who's constantly complaining about everything that is wrong? I would say no, right? And, and when we are proclaiming the gospel, we are saying, hey, I've got something so good that even if you're broke and you have nothing in this life and everything's going wrong, I have good news that is so good, you could be blessed more than anyone in the world, even if everything in your life is wrong. And think about this, when we are complainers, that type of message falls flat. So complaining extinguishes our life. Here's the second one. Complaining questions God's sovereignty. Complaining questions God's sovereignty. One of the main fundamental principles of scripture is that God is in control of everything, of all of our circumstances. And if we really believe that truth, what that means is that we should say in response to even the things that don't go right, our response really should be, my good father who is loving and wise and strong is the one who dealt me this hard hand. Do I need to go back to the other screen? My good father, where's my, oh, I erased it, is the one who put me in a country with messed up politics. My good father is the one who gave me that difficult job. My loving and wise father is the one who allowed me to fall into these circumstances, who did not have me be born into a rich family. So when we complain, one of the fundamental issues of scripture with complaining is that's questioning God's sovereignty. You can't say, I believe God is in control and he does all things well, and then complain about the circumstances that that in control, well-doing God has put into your life, right? Here's the next one. Complaining questions God's goodness. We all know what Romans 8.28 says, that all things work together for good. 
Now, someone tell me what that good is in that verse. What is the good that all things are working together for in Romans 8? In your own words, what is God accomplishing through all things? Is well a little more specific? Everything? What type of growth is God trying to accomplish? Our spiritual growth, right? Because verse 29, if you read it, talks about our sanctification, that God predestined us to sanctification. We've got to understand Romans 8, 28 is specifically saying that everything in your life is for your spiritual growth. We've got to define good the same way God defines it. Now think about this, okay? How many things that we complain about, that we put on that list, did God put into our lives for our good? How many of them? All of them. And so what our complaints at the root are questioning is, is God, this is not good for me. The boss you complain about, for your spiritual good. The circumstance in your life, Brother Ray, that you are complaining about, frustrated with, it's for your good. Even the turmoil that we deal with in society that's so much bigger than us that we feel like we can't fix, that itself is for our spiritual good. The preaching that you may complain about, right? It is for your good. The lack of listening sometimes that a preacher can complain about for his good, right? All of those things are for our good. It questions God's goodness. It also questions God's wisdom. It's kind of a subset of all these that when we complain we are saying that God wasn't wise to bring the situation into our lives. He messed up. He messed up. And here's the most serious one. Complaining merits God's judgment. Now, now friends, tell me where in the Bible you can think of fire coming down from heaven and consuming people alive. When did God rain fire down from heaven and kill large scores of people for their sin? Sodom and Gomorrah. For what sin, perhaps, is that judging? Fornication and homosexuality and all sorts of other things. We put those on the bad sin spectrum, generally. Now, okay, someone who's reading the Pentateuch sees fire coming down from heaven and consuming Sodom and Gomorrah, it might surprise you that the next time fire comes down from heaven and consumes somebody is after they're complaining. Listen to Numbers 1, verse 11. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard of it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. When we look at situations like this, it might be tempting for us to think, well, Pastor Mike, you know, yeah, you could throw out the fire from heaven thing, but that's Old Testament God. Old Testament God, I mean, he threw fire down from heaven and consumed people. It seemed like a lot more easily than he does now. But I think a better way to think about that is not that the Old Testament God was meaner. It's that New Testament Christians aren't as serious about God. That we forget when we complain we forget about this stuff. We forget about it. Now, I'm not saying God will, you know, rain down fire. Maybe he would. I, I don't know. But I'm saying that maybe this is in the Pentateuch. 
This is in the Torah because God knew that future generations of his people would habitually complain about all the things that are so-called wrong in their lives. And that is exactly what the wilderness generation was doing. And by the way, God is so kind because this is not by a long shot the first time they complained. I mean, I read in Exodus and Numbers, it's like complain, 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 complain. You know, if I preached through those books, we'd have a lot of sermons on complaining because that's really a lot of what they did. And, and here's where I want to warn you, Christians. This is, not a, this is not sin light. This is not the free trial version of sin. This is serious because of all the things I just mentioned. Now, now here's what we have to ask ourselves, okay? Pastor Mike, how, are you saying I can't say anything negative ever or, you know, that's a moral sin? Let me give you two questions to sift out some complaining. And this is going to sift out a good bit of it, okay? Here's the first one. Is there a deep, settled faith that gives you contentment amid your dissatisfaction? Because the root, the root sin underneath complaining is what? Discontentment. The root sin beneath our complaining is my God is not good enough. He's not done well enough for me. Therefore, I speak from a mouth that complains. Now, there are times that we can express and talk about things that it's not as though um, we are discontent and are um, unhappy with God. I think of one type of complaint that is, I don't think, sinful is grief, lament, right? Um, so we have contentment in God, but we can grieve certain things in our world. We can grieve injustice at the highest level, right? Now we're gonna filter that through some solutions, but it's okay. We see the prophets complaining about that, lamenting that, but who are their complaints directed to? God. I wonder why. Maybe it's because he can actually do something about it, right? You know, me complaining to Michael is not really going to fix anything. It doesn't do anything, actually. And here's the second filter that would help a lot of us is, is the expression of our dissatisfaction bringing God glory? Or is it really just showing our love for ourselves? Friends, I, I, I say this to myself as well as to you, that if we're really honest, most of our complaints are rooted in self-love. Self-worship. They really are. Most complaints, if I'm thinking about mine, are rooted in this mentality. And I think you would agree. I deserve better. I deserve a better boss. I deserve more money. I deserve different family. I deserve a better this or that. And when we really filter out our complaints, we recognize that those type of complaints, they're not bringing God glory. How is that bringing God glory? It's really just showing our love for ourselves. There are certain types of speaking about things that are negative that can bring God glory. We certainly know that, that it's not like all negative talk is bad. What, what, what did Paul do? Paul warned Timothy about the sinfulness of certain false teachers in the church. 
a sort of complaining, maybe. We can label it very broadly. It was Paul who in Philippians was very grieved over the divisiveness of two women in the church at Philippi. That certainly wasn't sinful. Why? Because ultimately those statements of negativity were steering a church to God's glory rather than divisiveness. Okay? So what are the solutions to our complaining? This, this will help all of us. This will help all of us. Number one, if you have an issue with a person, talk to them about it. If you have an issue with a person, talk to them about it. I think most of our complaints, they fall into two categories, a people category and a circumstance category, okay? We'll talk about the circumstance category here in a minute, but let's talk about the people category, some complaints. My husband forgot our anniversary. My boss is a jerk. My kids don't invite me over for the holidays. That teacher is unfair to my kids. That city, uh, that city mayor passed an unfair policy, right? These are people complaints. And what the Bible teaches us, and we'll talk about gossip in a future lesson, is that when we have issues with people, if, if the issue's here, the issue stays here, right? So I have an issue with my spouse, Rick, I don't go and talk to you about it. Who do I talk to about it, church? Your spouse, right? That when, I, when I'm an issue with this guy and it then gets outside of this boundary and I talk to Michael about it, I've then committed a sin against this brother. Because Michael doesn't need to know about it, right? Michael's not involved in it. Now Michael's gonna have different thoughts about, about Rick than he should that are based on someone else's experience and interpretation, which may be flawed. And we know that a reputation, a good name is chosen rather than great riches. And so for me to spoil Rick's name in Michael's mind is a grave sin against Rick. And so if I have an issue with a person, the Bible compels me to talk to them about it, right? To talk to them about it. And there's so many biblical examples of this, but I think Jesus's words are best. If a brother offends you, Matthew 18, go between you and him alone, confront that, and then he says, in, in the case of a sin where someone's offended you and sinned against you, then if that doesn't work, then you could bring extra people in. You're not talking to extra people. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't say, go and talk to another person about it and really wallow in your pity. No, he says, go and bring a brother with you. And that brother's supposed to hear out both people and address the sins that are at hand, right? So, so I want to encourage you, one of the best solutions to our, planning, our complaining is think, okay, I've got a people-oriented Complaint. My boss is a jerk. Okay. Well, talking to your coworker about that, let's be honest, won't fix anything. Right? Right. Okay. Won't fix anything. Won't fix your boss. In fact, honestly, I, if I were a boss and someone was talking about me, I'd just be a bigger jerk to them. Right? You know, so this isn't going to help. But if your boss, had, if you have an issue with your boss, who should you talk to about that? Your boss, Right? Now, there's ways and methods to do that, and there's discernment and wisdom in how we do that. If you have an issue with your spouse, okay, ringing up your mom and complaining about your spouse probably isn't going to help anything. It's a violation of trust between you and your spouse. And I don't know how many marriages I've seen that that's the dynamic that has gone in a really bad downward spiral. So instead of complaining to someone else about your spouse, 
If you have longstanding issues or even recent, quick, small issues, who do you talk to about those issues? Your spouse. Ah, we're getting it, right? If you have an issue with a certain policymaker in a school or in a city government, complaining about it isn't going to fix it. I, you know, I'd stay somewhat in tune with the local politics here. I can't think of a single policy issue our commission has passed as a result of gossip outside of the commission chambers. I haven't found one. I have seen policy issues changed when groups of people have addressed those who are in charge of those decisions and have advocated for different policies, right? So if you have an issue with a policymaker, you know it's a lot easier to complain about a policy than it is to advocate for a better policy. There's a lot of people who complain about politics, but there's very few who show up at a commission meeting in the opening remarks and say something, right? But yet as Christians, we are called to be people that keep issues between the person who's responsible, right? If there's an issue with a teacher or school district, you try and deal with those individually. If there's an issue with a church or a pastor, deal with those individually. Those are all things that we need to keep in mind because that's, that's the solution to our complaining, right? Number two, this one challenges me the most probably, is that if you can change your circumstances, do something about it. Nehemiah is a great example of this, isn't he? Nehemiah, he gets news that back home, something's wrong. Do you remember how, what the news is that Nehemiah got? What was wrong back in Jerusalem? The city walls were torn down. And then we read in Nehemiah chapter number two that Nehemiah went to all of his friends and he complained about it and said, isn't that a shame? No, what did he do? He prayed to the God of heaven, who, by the way, can do something about it. You know, if you're like, well, I can't talk, I can't fix that problem. Well, then pray about it. That's a better solution than complaining about it. But he prays to the God of heaven. And then what does Nehemiah do about those broken walls? He travels to Jerusalem. He advocates with the king of the empire, gets foreign funding, and then travels hundreds of miles through danger, leads dozens and hundreds of people through complaining and adversaries, and he builds a wall. If you could do something about your circumstances, better than complaining about it, just do, do something to change them. There's a lot of circumstances that we complain about that better, we'd be better off just doing something about it. You got a lousy job, it's a lot easier to complain than to fill out some applications. It's a lot easier to complain than to brush up on your continuing ed. It's a lot easier to complain than to go sit down with your supervisor and talk about your pay scale. But do something about it. That's a much better use of your energy. And frankly, you might be surprised how far you might get when you start doing stuff instead of complaining about stuff, Right? It's easy to complain about, I think it was, uh, was, it, was it you, um, Peace, that said our bodies are our weight, right? It's easy to complain about our health. It's a lot harder to do something about it. Now, some of that could be out of our control, and that's where we pray about it. That's doing something about it. Um, but you might say, okay, Pastor Mike, there's a lot of things that I complain about that I can't do anything about. There's not a person I can talk to. There's not anything I can do. Here's the last one. This might help the most of us. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. Philippians 2 is a part of a group of letters that Paul wrote that are called prison epistles. Can you guess why Philippians is called a prison epistle? 
it was written. Aren't you glad you've got a really educated pastor? It was written from a prison, right? So that means Paul is locked up in jail. What we know, even from his own writings, is that Paul 24-7 was chained to a Roman guard. That's awkward. Got to go potty? Can you look away, sir, while I go? You know, I'm just saying, it's really awkward. And I mean, who knows? You know, did the guy talk to him? I don't know. You know, what do you do when you're chained to a guy for a couple hours? I mean, I would talk to him, but what do you do? I mean, this is just a bad deal. I mean, he's locked up. This is a man who was a traveler, a world traveler. He planted churches. He went. He was always going places in the book of Acts. And yet in this phase of his life, when he writes Philippians, he's chained to a Roman guard. He can't go anywhere. Maybe he's dealing with some BO of himself in that guy. He probably, he doesn't have like a private bathroom. He probably has a hole dug in the ground that he goes in. Okay, he's probably not getting great food, okay? And at any moment, if the Philippians stop sending him money, this guy could go to an even worse situation. That's stressful, right? And yet it was that guy who wrote in Philippians 2, look at verse number 14, to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, what's great about Philippians is Paul doesn't leave it up to our imagination as to why he himself could do all things without murmurings and disputings. Because not only is Paul chained in prison, but what we get an idea of in chapter number one is there's certain people who've taken upon themselves to carry on this ministry Paul had outside of prison, but there's been something weird about their ministry. Something about what they're doing is actually adding to Paul's bonds is what he says. So what I imagine is that the way that these men are carrying out their ministry is that it's, it's making the political turmoil worse, which means Paul is more likely to be executed, okay? So Paul's in prison. He's got people preaching outside of prison who are making his life worse and his chances of death even worse. And what does Paul say as to why he's not bothered by that? Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren of the Lord are waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Why is Paul not complaining? Well, he couldn't change his circumstances. I mean, he could talk to somebody about him, but that wasn't going to help anything. The Roman guard's not going to let him go. There's a much higher power that he has to deal with this legal issue to get free. But yet Paul is saying that the reason he's not complaining is, number one, he didn't see himself as the center of his story. Jesus was the center of Paul's story. And if his bonds were doing something positive for Jesus... No complaints there. I think some of us, like Paul, we're chained to certain circumstances that we feel like we can't escape from that are what merit a lot of our complaints. We're chained to a job. We're chained to a difficulty. We're chained to a relationship. We're chained to a financial burden, a health difficulty, a loss of a loved one, an undesirable situation at work. Rowdy kids, right? The solution to our complaints is to take our eyes off ourselves 
to realize that we are not the center of the story. Jesus is. And that it's not about what we want. It's about what helps us bring God glory. And, and I'll be honest, <clears throat> there's a lot of things I complain about in the moment. That six months, six years later, I realized that those were necessary ingredients for me to bring God more glory in a certain area of my life. That those things, they may not have been good for me, but they may have been good for that person. Right? And at the heart of all of our complaining, like we talked about, is self-love and self-worship. But when we shift our love away from ourselves and towards Christ, we start asking different questions. We start thinking in different ways. Is this serving Christ's kingdom? Is this helping me look more like Christ? And ultimately, worship is this. I may not be able to piece all that together, but I worship a sovereign, all-wise, and good God, and therefore, I cannot view these things through a different lens. A worshiper is more than just someone who sings a hymn. Our worship is even affects how we think about the daily things. And so as we conclude our lesson this morning, what we ought to do, frankly, and I'm speaking for myself, we need to pray for God's mercy because we all deserve to be consumed in his fiery wrath. I hope you realize that. Pray for his mercy. Pray for his grace to help in our time of need. He's a faithful friend. He will not tempt us above that we are able. And so there are every circumstance in your life you don't have to complain about. There's not a single one you have to. You choose to. And so we can go to God who will make a way of escape that we are able to bear it. So let's do that this morning. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for our complaining and grumbling and discontent hearts. Lord, we think that we deserve more than we do. And we forget, God, what we deserve is actually your fiery, all-consuming wrath. God, we, if we are Christians, we believe we're the most blessed people. And yet, sometimes we can be the biggest complainers. God, I trust that there is not a single circumstance in my life or the lives of, of your people here that we have to complain about. Your grace is so strong that no matter how bad life gets, you can give us the grace to rather than complain, to pray, to rest, to have a conversation, to advocate for a solution, to change our circumstances. God, all of those things you are powerful enough to enable us to do rather than to reverting to these old paths of complaining. I pray as Christians who actually love one another, we would kindly and gently hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable. We'd use discernment to do that because God, frankly, we don't always know. We don't, we're so fallen, we don't even know when we're complaining sometimes. Pray to help us to love each other enough to help each other with that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All righty, well.